Tiffany Schlaim thinks of the Internet when she thinks of her favorite quote of the naturalist John Muir, that when you tug at a single thing in the universe, you find it's attached to everything else. She is an Internet pioneer and a filmmaker committed to reframing technology as an expression of the best of what humanity is capable, with all the complexity that entails. She founded the Webby Awards, the Oscars of the Internet, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. And for over six years, she and her young family have held to a technology Sabbath or Shabbat, 24 unplugged hours each week. Her perspective on our technology-enhanced lives is ultimately a purposeful and enriching one. The Internet is our global brain, towards which we can apply all the wisdom we are gaining about the brains in our heads and the character in our lives. There's a point in the development of a child's brain where all the different parts of the brain are connected, that they can have their first insight. And extrapolating that out to the Internet the moment that we can truly get everyone on the internet connected, imagine the insight that will be able to happen when we have that many different perspectives coming together in one network. And I think the challenge is going to be to create enough collaborative tools to make that happen. But that makes me incredibly hopeful. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Tiffany Schlein grew up in California. Her many films include the feature-length Connected, an autoblogography about love, death, and technology. This touched on the life and ideas of her late father, the renowned surgeon, inventor, and author Leonard Schlein. I wonder how you would start to talk about what you would call the spiritual background of your childhood, however you would define that language now, looking back. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely changed how I would describe it. But yeah. I think, um, you know, I grew up as a, a cultural California Jew hmm. with two parents from the Midwest. They were both from Detroit. And, you know, we were culturally Jewish, but I wouldn't say religious. And I understand, you know, my grandfather escaped when he was 16 from Odessa, Ukraine. Hmm. And was put in the back of a hay truck, and he never wanted to talk about it. And as a young adult, I learned that his whole family died in the Holocaust. Oh. And I think that that probably colored my father's experience in his home. Um, I'd say both my parents were more on the agnostic side of things. But it was a very intellectually curious home, a lot of questioning. Um, I would say we probably felt the most spiritual when we'd go river rafting, which we did hmm. quite often. I think it was in your connection film that you talked about, you know, you grew up with your father, who was your version of Einstein. You called him dad. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I was really intrigued. I'm really intrigued by how it seems like your father was always making these fascinating connections between breakthroughs in art and breakthroughs in science and that mm -hmm. space. And that that's also something you've kind of, you know, moved into that lineage as well. Yeah, I think um, a lot of... My, I mean, I'm so—the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I mean, I he wrote this book, Art and Physics, which looked at the parallel visions in these two worlds and how um, artists and scientists are often talking about the same ideas, but ones with images and ones with equations. Mm. And then, you know, ended up—actually, the way I met my husband, who uh, is an artist and a scientist, is he went to hear my dad speak, and 
we fell in love that night. And a lot of our work, we collaborate on a lot of stuff, projects together and exploring art and science is a strong connection. And then my mother, when I was growing up, was getting her PhD in psychology. And her explorations of the inner world and emotions and how much that drives what we do, that's been a big part, too, with the character work. Yeah. Did you know that Einstein said that a sense of wonder and a reverence for mystery, that this is something that is at the core of the best of science and religion and the arts? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, you know, actually Einstein, who, um, you know, my father wrote a, about a, a lot. I mean, he was a part of a lot of my bedtime stories from my dad. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I've wrestled a lot with um, questions around religion and the word God, and I really have wrestled with that because it, it does shut me down, even though I, if I don't use that word, I'm more comfortable. But I remember hearing, um, I read this great chapter, I think it was Walter Isaacson wrote it in like a profile book, but of all all the rabbis and theologians questioning Einstein whether he believed in God. Mm-hmm. And he finally said, I, I have a humility for the complexity that I don't understand and an awe. I mean, not, I'm not yeah. saying exactly how he said it, but yeah. that, spoke, that has always spoken to me the most. I mean, that, when I read that, I just felt this amazing sense of connection and relief and <laughs> an articulation of my own sense of my place in the world and a reverence for this larger complexity. Hmm. Something I so admire and really want to kind of delve into, which is I see as of the kind of the big part of a big vision behind everything that you do, which is, you know, you are really making a connection between the fact that our brains are designed for connection and the internet is an extension of our brains, that it was made to connect data, but now it connects us. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing this digital world that we often kind of define as something separate from us and even something that's tyrannical that's taking over our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, lo- I love the, the analogy that you draw with, with the brain, with our brains and with human connection. And I think it seems kind of obvious to you. And it's one of those things that seems obvious when you say it. But it's really not the narrative that that we have right now. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. We we seem to talk about technology as it as if it's other than us when we've created it. It's a reframing. It is an extension of our abilities. It's an amplification of our desire to connect, of our desire to do more. So it is us, and when we are good, bad, and everything in between. Yeah. And so if. You can talk about technology as a force for bad, but you can also t- talk about it as a force for good. Or you could just talk about it as an extension of us. And if we're mindful about the way we use technology, we can shape it. And it's not something that's overtaking us. I think a lot of people talk about, oh, I'm so overwhelmed with technology. Well, you can turn it off also. And that's <laughs> right. been a really profound um, thing for me. I was, you know, very immersed in technology. My husband's a professor of robotics, and you know, my father wrote a lot about the brain, and he was a surgeon and operated on it. He um, he did get um, brain cancer, which mm. was very difficult. Um, and I'm sure anyone who has had someone really close to them dying, um, when I would go over to see him for sometimes it was just one good hour a day, you know, we would turn off our phones and just be 
incredibly present with my dad. And um, when he died, I just, I said, Ken, I, can we as a family and we have children, can we turn off the screens for Shabbat? And um, we call them our technology Shabbats. And I cannot tell you, we're now just starting our seventh year of doing it. And um, it has been the most profound thing. It's incredible, going back to what you originally asked, it's incredibly empowering to also know that I needed to turn it off and that I could, and we made this family commitment to do it. Right. And I find that having just that day without any screens, without any technology, is such a beautiful rebalancing. And um, I think more deeply. I'm more reflective. I think about the bigger picture. And then, you know, and also, you know, it was a wonderful day with my family. And then um, on Saturday night, this kind of dual effect, which I didn't expect at all, is that <laughs> I kind of reappreciate technology all over again because I'm very excited to, like, oh, I have a thought that I want to look up, and I look it up. Yeah, so, so you're... You know, you you echo something that that's come up in in many of my conversations across the years, including with Sherry Turkle, who I, I think is a friend of yours. Yeah, you know, yeah that, she's a friend. That the internet yeah. is in its infancy, and it's up to us to grow it up. That we're that we're the adults in the room, whether whether we yeah. feel like that or not. We we need to have agency, and that's a framing mm-hmm. of what it is to us. It's an extension of us. It's not this other thing that somebody's doing to us. Yeah. And then you know you're. It seems to me that you're also saying um, that the internet and this technology makes connection possible. It's an engine of connection, and Absolutely. that that growing it up and you know shaping it to human purposes t- for the world we want to live in and we want to raise our children in means you know delving into it in that spirit and also at the same time knowing when to unplug. <laughs> right. Yeah, and being mindful. <laughs> Actually, the word mindful, I have to tell you the new word that I, I love to ground the word mindful, okay. which is so used everywhere now. Okay, here it, it is. is. It's one of those overused words, yeah. I know, it's so overused, it's yeah. lost its meaning. So yeah. here's the word that grounds it is metacognition, which is meta, you know, <laughs> thinking about thinking. It's the same thing, but it's so much more like it grounds it in science, which is exciting to me, and mm-hmm. it has kind of teeth to it. Yeah. It kind of it kind of secures itself to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it is a word you have to think about. <laughs> yeah, metacognition. Um, um, and I mean you you point out, is this true that there are more connections still, like neural connections in any yeah. single human brain than the entire internet possesses? Now? A, ch- a child's brain. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. I, I was doing this film about um called Brain Power, which looked at uh, the best way to nurture a child's brain. And um, birth to five is the, the biggest growth period of a child's brain. And we were trying to show how incredibly important it is to support a brain in that those years. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's an, an awesome fact. And again, that's another word, awesome. <laughs> if you think about the word awesome, full of awe, that's a very big word, oh, but it so has right. become, yeah. <laughs> it's become, but that is truly an awesome. Can we use that yeah, word in the right yeah, way? Yeah, it's an yeah, awesome no, I like fact. It. <laughs> well, and, and 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 here's another one, a little bit less overused. But you know, you even you, you even singled out this word Ubuntu, which is a South African word and yeah. this beautiful philosophical principle and kind of way of being that was there as apartheid yeah. ended, and and it it kind of means uh, I am because you are. And oh, I've yeah, seen so that beautiful. watered down spiritually, I think. But, you know, you say that uh, that principle, in fact, is a perfect way to think about how the human brain develops. 
Yeah, I think being a parent, I mean, there's kind of nothing more incredible than experiencing that firsthand with watching mm. your children respond and grow and uh, to you and and guiding and modeling and all of these things too. I mean, I, I think a lot about the modeling, even with my work around character and gratitude and all of these things that you hope to instill and um yeah it's interesting like we um we we recently made this film that kind of explored um musar and being a mensch and and musar is kind of Mm -hmm. the jewish lens of um the science of character education which was very exciting for me to learn as a jew i'd never known about it before and so there's this jewish practice of a hundred blessings a day like you bless everything but, you know, people that truly do this, they're blessing when they go to the bathroom. They're blessing like a sunrise, a rainbow. And I just love the specificity of um, blessing every moment. Yeah. And our our children, just I think them seeing us really try to, and I, we don't actually just like say ble- we're blessing this moment. <laughs> we, we're acknowledging an incredible moment. And, um, and it's wonderful to see them really start to do that now. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today, I'm with the internet pioneer and filmmaker Tiffany Schlein. She sees a parallel between her purposeful perspective on the internet and the development of the relatively new field pioneered by Martin Seligman and Christopher Peterson of positive psychology, focused less on pathology and more on the development of human wholeness and character. Her production company, the Moxie Institute Film Studio and Lab, has created an annual Character Day with events around the world. Her film, The Science of Character, develops a periodic table of 24 character strengths positive psychology has identified, such as curiosity, perseverance, gratitude, and humor. So the the kind of intellectual creative side of you is, is thinking about growing up the internet to its greatest potential. And it, yes, in fact, its character yes. and its its potential for incredible connection. But you've kind of been working with that idea as you are becoming a mother and as you're thinking about healthy child development techniques. And in fact, it's a, it's yeah. a perfect analogy. But again, it's not the way we tend to think about our well, Actually, I love technology. what you just said about character in terms of the internet evolving, mm-hmm. that we proactively can evolve the internet and infuse it with character strengths. Yeah. You know, that that is really a framework to think about a healthy evolution of the internet instead of throwing your hands up and saying this thing is out of our control and it's yeah. doing all these things. Is like we, just as we're raising a child, we need to shepherd this to its maturity and, and infuse it with our own sense of character. All right. You know, you talk about how a child's brain and our brains, you know, are always pruning as we get older and that what we Mm -hmm. pay attention to gets stronger Mm -hmm. um, and what you pay attention to less gets pruned out. Yeah. And I think you've also suggested that, you know, like the human brain, those of us who are adults now have lived through this phenomenon 
landing in the middle of our lives and in the middle of society and really turning everything inside out in ways that are still playing out. But you said, you know, there's this possibility that once it has just proliferated, that it might begin to prune. But again, as you're saying, I mean, it's, it's up to us right. what direction that takes. Absolutely. I think that's incredibly empowering, too, Yeah, if you think of it that way. And um, it's exciting if you think, oh, wow, we, we're at this point in, in human evolution and our civilization where you have this tool that's creating a nervous system um, for the whole world, and we can shape it, and we can prune it, and we can strengthen things that are important and weaken things that are not as important or not yeah. good for yeah. society. You know, there's so much, kind of going back to the character, there's so much science, neuroscience and social science that's kind of backing up what we believed to be true. Yeah, right. And I think really, what was so exciting to me about learning about like Seligman and Peterson's work and, you know, that they looked at character virtues and strengths all throughout cultures and history. And, oh, yeah, and the, they, the whole idea they of broke positive, it down. positive psychology. Po- yeah. Positive psychology, yeah. yes. And they broke it down and they made it accessible and tangible. And I think that with the internet and with technology, if people find ways to break it down and make it accessible, I mean, even for me, whether it was the technology Shabbat and having some way to engage with it that felt more comfortable to me, I think that's really important. I I think what's also accessible and empowering about that is your emphasis that that it doesn't say that you have to possess all of those wonderful qualities, but that we do have some strengths and that focusing on the strengths you have and practicing the strengths you have is also your contribution. Yeah. And, and focusing on the strengths of others. Mm. The people around you have strengths to recognize them and actually makes them stronger for them too. And then also when I learned about the kind of Jewish version of these ideas which is called Musar, the way that they talk about it is that we all have just different levels of these strengths. And you can work on them to, you know, build one up or take it down. And actually being in, in, in different situations, you need to learn how to dial something up and dial something down. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has strengths that you would never say are good, like something like envy. And But that if envy motivates you to actually maybe get a new job or do something that could possibly have, it could be useful in some situations. Mm-hmm. And things like humility that you can dial up or down humility in different situations. And it's all about understanding how much space you should take up, which I, I think it was a little bit of a shift for me in the thinking after I learned the positive psychology movement, which I found really interesting. And what was the shift for you? Well, even something like humility which I think is a beautiful um, attribute. Um, And then I thought about, you know, being a woman and a woman director and, you know, there are times where... Yeah, it's tricky. Humility can be tricky. Well, on the one hand, okay, my... If your instinct is to be humble, but then there's another part of me that's a complete feminist and I know that we need to keep pushing it forward and a lot of times if women don't say what they've done it won't get said and it's not in the history books it's not you know all this so then there's another part of me that's like well I need to make sure that what a woman has done is known (laughs) so there's like inner wrestling with me but it's a little you know what I mean it's yeah but then I think I also think that's then then it comes down to how 
Because humility is another one of those ruined words. Um, I know. Right? It's flattened out. And like I think it, then it comes down to how do you define humility? Because I, I actually think— How do you define it? I th- well, it's interesting that you asked me. Because I, I actually—I was at Divinity School when my daughter was born, my first child. And hmm. so I was doing my version of what you're doing. I was studying theology, and I was um, thinking about these ideas. And so I was reading at that point, you know, about humility in the Bible and about— hmm. What, what Jesus always talks about, the humility of a child, and I think I had huh. exactly the same reaction you did as a woman. To me, huh. to be humble was to be ineffective and ineffectual. But right. I started to look at that word all the way through the text and the Hebrew Bible as well, and I, I realized that I think spiritual humility is actually not about making yourself small or about debasing yourself. It's about having a proper awe before everything else and everyone else. Mm. Right. I mean, so, I mean, you can break that apart, but, um, so no, I I like that. It's almost like your place in the larger context. that You always are coming from understanding where you are in the larger interdependent context of the world. Right. Yeah. To put it in, into that wonderful framework that you use. Yeah. Huh. I love that. Okay. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there is a zeitgeist with character, which is exciting there for us. Cause is. We're, you know. It's developed in the same period of, of your interest in this. Okay. Well, actually, wait, I want to ask you if I can. <laughs> I, um, you know, we were really, we did this event called Character Day because we felt like when we tried to look up information about it, there was all these silos of information about characters, the education, there was people from the religious, there was people from this, and it wasn't all in one spot. And we thought it'd be very powerful to have a global conversation that also, was Also, I aggregated. think a lot of it has this eat your spinach feeling to it. Yes. And we yeah. tried to make it more exciting. Yeah. Yes. But my question for you is, why do you think there is this resurgence of the discussion of character right now in the 21st century in the last couple of years? What do you think that's about? <laughs> okay, I'll give you my answer, and then you have to give me yours. How's that? Okay. <laughs> well, so, okay. I mean, to me, so a word I use probably more than character, but I actually think it's completely um, connected, is the language of virtues, right? Or right. the, or the yes. language of wisdom, which, which is different, and mm. wisdom is one, of those, is one of those strengths. But I think yeah, interesting. character and virtues, which to me are maybe the practices that add, add up to character. Um, mm. And I find, I mean, I was going to ask you, so I find also that the language of virtue, for example, is um, that people who are a bit older, sometimes it has baggage to it. But I find that younger people are, find this language really magnetic, Mm. And for mm-hmm. me, it's the, the, again, the language I use more is virtue, but I wonder if you find the language of character, you know, that periodic table of strengths like wisdom and humility. Um, mm. I don't know. What else is on there? What else is on there? The, um, uh, yeah, creativity, kindness, humor, yeah. humor, social yeah. intelligence. Yeah, I love it that humor is on there, yeah. Oh, yeah. Humor's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I love humor on all of this stuff because a lot of it is very... Um, it's been done in a dry context. <laughs> and I think humor, really, with any intellectual idea, just makes it move more easily yeah. in your mind. And um, I always try to bring that lens, the the humor and irony of certain things. Um, I just heard Gloria Steinem speak, and I find oh. her incredibly wise. Mm-hmm. And she laughs with almost all of her wisdom. And mm-hmm. I was noting, God, she, every, she, even when she's delivering the intense stuff, she's laughing. 
And mm-hmm. I absolutely love that delivery because you're you're open. I mean, usually in, in my films, I will try to make people laugh right before I want them to think deeply. Because uh. when people think they know how they feel about something, their body language, everything is kind of tight. And you make them laugh and immediately their body opens. And I always feel like I can go in deeper with the idea or into their heart or their mind or both at the same time, hopefully. And so I'm pretty deliberate. I'm like, okay, I have this big idea coming. I must make them laugh with either a line or a visual in like eight seconds before. <laughs> it's not that scientific, but I do think that way. How much laughter is important. You can listen again and share this conversation with Tiffany Schlein through our website, onbeing.org. I'm Krista Tippett. On Being continues in a moment. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today I'm with internet pioneer and filmmaker Tiffany Schlein. She founded the Webby Awards, the Oscars of the Internet. And she and her family have helped popularize the practice of a technology Sabbath or Shabbat, 24 unplugged hours each week. Tiffany Schlein believes that we can focus far more on the life-giving, character-building potential of the Internet, and this is the theme of her films and global projects. The annual Character Day, created by her nonprofit, Let It Ripple, has encompassed over 6,000 events in over 40 countries. So if we think about this work of um, really what, what we're talking about here, if we combine these different sides of the conversation and kind of these different sides of your endeavor. You're talking about growing up the internet by growing up ourselves, right? Like growing up our species, oh, evolving. I love that. Right? Yes. Uh, yes. Um, and I feel like you have a lot of, you're close to a lot of, a lot of what we're learning on this frontier about how we interact with technology and what it does to us. I mean, you've talked about how when you gone out with your films, you realized how concerned people are about this and about what technology is doing to our brains. So talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what you know. And I mean, one thing I want to ask you to explain more about is this MEG imaging, M-E-G, mm-hmm. and what we're learning through that. Yeah. Yeah. People are very concerned. I mean, um, it's it's kind of feels like there's a hysteria right now about artificial intelligence, which also is an offshoot of that. Yeah. You know, on some level, I've been really interested, you know, in neuroscience as it relates to creativity. And there are studies that, you know, you need to let your mind wander more. You know, daydreaming, spacing out, going for a walk, doing the dishes, taking a shower. Your mind goes into this whole other mode that is really important for creativity. And... um you know, what they found is that your mind goes into the, you know, default mode network, which is, it's almost like you're taking a journey in your own mind and you're exploring what's already in there and you're making connections you wouldn't normally make because when you're doing focus thinking, you're kind of deliberately thinking. But when you're daydreaming, you are making unusual connections and unusual connections are really where I think creativity comes from. Yeah. So 
Um, you know, I think that that does, con, you know, concern me. And I feel like people really aren't making any space for um, daydreaming. And do you feel like uh, carving out your Shabbat, just even like sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, does that then permeate the rest of the week? Where oh, you yeah. are presumably oh, texting yeah. and emailing as much as the rest of yeah, us. Yeah, and I'm doing what everyone else is doing the other times. I'm not like some Puritan person who, you know, I feel so creative on Sunday morning. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, oh, oh, wait, this is the other thing that happens that really I find <laughs> fascinating. When you're turning off the technology, you are slowing down time. You're slowing mm-hmm. down your mm-hmm. mind. And mm-hmm. most people that I run into, I mean, it's just that Sunday, and I say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I mean, that's everybody's response. I'm like, I don't, I don't want that to be your response. Tell me something interesting. But everyone feels overwhelmed. So this amazing thing happens on Friday nights, you know, uh, and Saturday morning. And my husband and I, Ken and I still joke. We'll just be like, well, what time is it now? Oh my gosh, it's only eight in the morning. We've done four things. You know, it's like (laughs) time just goes ridiculously slow when your phone is off. Yeah. So to the addictive feeling of our relationship with our technology. I mean, would you say a little bit about what we're learning about the neurotransmitters, like the you know, the oxytocin and the dopamine and how, how those things, and, and also not in necessarily in ways that seem terrible, but what's released in our brains um, oh, as yeah. we interact I mean, with these devices? It's very similar to, I mean, I'm not proud of this, but in, in rebellion in my 20s, I smoked and um, I know what that feels like. <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes I'd have a cigarette in my mouth and want another cigarette, and I would be, like, blown away that that thought could happen. Um, and, you know, when you're on an email and you want to check for a new email, I think yeah. it's the same thing. But, yeah, dopamine. and the, But, I mean, the good news is that the um, – and dopamine, it's also things that make you feel good, things that make you want more, like food or sex or, you know, there's all of these – things that you can't be satiated with. Right, right. And then on the flip side, with oxytocin, I mean, this is what I love, is oxytocin is the hormone, the love hormone. It's when women are breastfeeding, they they get flooded with oxytocin, or it makes you feel trusting, and it's made, it makes you want to collaborate. And um, they've shown that when you get a text or an email from someone you love, or someone you feel connected to, you get a rush of uh, oxytocin. So there's a part of me that thinks that the reason why there's all these collaborative businesses on the rise, whether it's Airbnb or Lyft or, you know, all these companies that are growing on the Internet that are all based on collaboration is because we are a wash of oxytocin. Like we are so filled with it that we're just wanting to collaborate. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, you'd use that this language of the or participatory revolution fueled by all that oxytocin pinging around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's on my most optimistic days. I'm like, that is what that's a beautiful thing, and of course, not in a Pollyanna way. I know there's a lot of very bad things happening in the world, and I do think about those. I I've chosen in my life. And I feel like we're surrounded with such bad frameworks on everything with the news generally yeah. that I just feel like I can contribute best if I come from a um, – actually, my husband and I call it opticism. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. It's optimism and, optimism and skepticism um, combined okay. and merged. Opticism. Because we're optimistic but realistic because we're, yeah. we're, we love history and grounding it in the past. But I really choose to – focus on what we can do instead of feeling 
overwhelmed and drowning in all the problems of the world. Well, I mean, the other thing I think a lot about is, I mean, the Internet is a new and very powerful oversized screen for the old human condition, right? I mean, there's nothing mm. that happens online that doesn't have an offline corollary. No, it's it's, it's amplifying mm-hmm. everything that we are. Mm-hmm. It's And that's... Um, that's the amazing thing about it. You use the word beauty a lot when you talk about technology. And I just, I wonder, you know, what, how do you, a phrase like that, that, that language of the beauty of technology, hmm. what, what are the connotations that that's filled with for you? Huh. I think that probably, just as you're saying it, I hadn't really thought about that, but um, just, you know, growing up with my father, writing art, writing art and physics, that, you know, the beauty of, of math the poetry of an amazing equation and code. And I mean, I, I think um, art is, yeah, I think beauty really can be applied to everything. Um, I see art and science the way he taught me to see it, which is that they're just one's images and one's equations and numbers, but they're the same. They're showing us the same ideas, but in different languages. And he, he goes all throughout history and kind of charts examples of that in that book. Your father does. Yeah. So in terms of this work of the Internet being in its infancy and how how its foundation is us, in fact, and how we are building its foundation, like, where do you see this happening? I mean, you're out there talking about this stuff. What do you, where do you see this, this hopeful, character-driven foundation being mm-hmm. built? Well, going back to one point you said I, that I think about a lot is just things that become self-fulfilling prophecies if we keep saying mm-hmm. it. I think that with the internet, I absolutely think about it with the women's story, that we're always not, we're not enough of this, we're not enough, you know, we're not enough board seats, we're not enough directing jobs, we're not, I mean, I never think, it's such a different way to think about the world is coming from what we're not instead of, for me, which is like, where are we? Where are we on the arc of history? And um, how can we shape it moving forward? And I think... Um, I'm very excited about the moment of everyone being online, which I think is going to happen in the next five years. Everyone who wants to be, which will be a very large proportion of the population. Again, going back to the neuroscience of a child's brain, that there's a there's a point in the development of a child's brain where all the different parts of the brain are connected, that they can have their first insight. Mm. And extrapolating that out to the Internet, you know, we're, I think, at this point, 60% connected. And the moment that we can truly get everyone on the Internet connected, imagine what that will be, the insight that will be able to happen when we have that many different perspectives coming together in one network. Mm. And I think the challenge is going to be to create enough collaborative tools to make that happen. But that makes me incredibly hopeful. Would, would you and, say... I mean, I ultimately... Oh, I was just going to say that I believe in humanity. <laughs> that just, I feel like there have been a couple moments where we could have knocked the whole, you know, huge swathes of the population away, and we didn't. And I think on a really bigger picture, I, I ultimately believe in humans, and I believe that we're going to evolve. Um, I think, it, you know, like anything with progress, it's two steps forward, one step back. And there's always going to be these parts of us that aren't great, that are horrible, that are violent, that are always going to be there. 
But I think on a whole, when we get everyone online, I think you're going to see amazing things happen that we can't even imagine. Would you say that you, you co-founded the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences and, and, and the Webby Awards? I mean, would you say that that's a way, that's like a tool or a platform for, for calling out character and goodness and excellence? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what was so exciting um, when I founded the Webbies back a long time ago, you know, it was really about this very young medium that we wanted to set the standard of excellence and say, this is the best. Just like what you're saying, if we put it to character, these have the best attributes and strengths on the web right now. Here's excellence, and now push beyond it next year. And next year, it always, you know, you're, you're constantly raising the bar of what is excellence and what are strengths. And, yeah. um, and you help evolve something, just like with your, like you were saying earlier, with your, if we're raising the internet... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're you're helping to um, develop it. Yeah, it's funny now because they're called web developers, and I just thought of that in a whole different way just now. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> web developers, yeah. we're all developing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, yeah, exactly. And to that point, if you think about, it, like, you do make this connection. You know, think about growing up the internet in terms of what are healthy child develop yeah. development techniques. You're right. It's wonderful. Um, and just what you said a minute ago about self-fulfilling prophecies. I mean, we know if we were raising a human being in the world and we were constantly generalizing about them and their future on the basis of the worst thing they did, you know, this mistake exactly. they made, this character flaw. Thank you. Yes, right? that's the news. That's yes. how we ruin them. <laughs> that's what I find, like, if we're just constantly saying the worst of humanity, which is the news. Yeah. I mean, I... That is what you're hearing. And if you're raising a child, just bringing, I mean, that would be the worst way to raise a child. Instead of this is what you can become. This is where you need to go. These are examples of excellence. You're saying the worst. And um, yeah, I'm tired of that. What do we want this to be? Let's think about it together. I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Today I'm with internet pioneer and filmmaker Tiffany Schlein. I notice you've also worked out, I don't know if this is formalized, but some like rules of etiquette for the internet age, I would say, with, with Sherry Turkle. <laughs> like, and so, I mean, could you share a couple of those just to like, yeah, when people write really long emails, like who's gonna read them right now? I mean, we we and so the hundred word or less email, bullet point, clear subject header. Um, you know, also I I laugh when um, you ask to see a photo of one of your friend's children, and they pull out their phone. And suddenly they get lost in their last year of photos. Like, oh, let me show. Oh, no, no, no. Let me show you this. One. Let me show you yeah. this. And then by the end, you like he didn't want to see twenty videos and six photos. He wanted to see yeah. how their child had grown and appreciate their child for a second. What was I the mean, one about finishing a text? Not like if your spouse walks into the room, you. Oh, actually, I try to really not walk into a room talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, because that you don't realize how much that. For the person that is in the home, when you're like in mid-conversation, it's uh, not a great way to greet someone. 
It's a little thing, but I, I think you're right. I mean, we don't think about the effect we're having on each other or, the, or our presence, yeah. right? Our presence. That's what's so beautiful about the, you know, even in the technology Shabbats, everyone turns off the phone, all the screens, and you're just, you're very present with each other. Yeah. And um, I remember when my father died, there was a lot of people at his funeral that I, I hadn't met before, but they all came up to me and shared some story. And what most of them said to me in different ways was, your father always made me feel like the most important person in the room. And I feel like today no one makes anyone feel like they're the most important yeah, person in the room anymore. Yeah, our habits just, kind of work against that, don't they? Yeah, there's just too many things that mm-hmm. are more important that could happen at any moment. And we just we have to pay attention to the emotional connectedness. And, you know, when a lot of people worry about the youth and they're like, oh, the kids, they don't make eye contact and all. I'm, in general, not so worried about the youth. I feel like we've gone through so many different technologies that have changed the way we've experienced the world. And ultimately, we're humans, and we need to make eye contact. That, like we, that A mother and a child have that. to make yeah. it for a child's brain to grow. And if you're in a marriage, you know, you have to make eye contact. You have to connect authentically, or else that marriage, it won't work. Yeah. And real relationships require deep connection. And again, this goes back to I believe in humans. I believe we're in this very transformational period with all this technology and that we we need to evolve and create kind of whether you want to call them habits or practices that allow for the connectivity while also utilizing this amazing tool of the Internet. Do you remember, you know, I think a lot these days about how even when, I mean, my children are now 17 and 22, but when... When my children were young, the great fear was that television would rot their brains. Right. And now they are young adults, and in the, as the world has changed in that time, <laughs> if we are all in the same room watching the same TV show, that is quality time, right? Yeah. I was just thinking about that when I was at Sundance, just... Um just I watched a whole bunch of movies in a big theater with lots of people, which was so delicious and wonderful to just experience all those things with other people. And it's so much fun to watch that with your family when you really get into a movie or a show together. Yeah, right. It's so wonderful. Um, yeah, but, I mean, television was the big fear. Yeah. That was the big fear, which is funny to me now. As I, hardly, I mean, I watched so much television when my parents got divorced. And that became like this surrogate family that wasn't happening during a very difficult time in my family. Mm. And, you know, watched the Brady Bunch more than I care to share with you. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so tell me, I wonder when you think about technology and human connection, I wonder if there are insights into that, aspects of that that are surprising you right now. That you you couldn't even have known or imagined, you know, five years ago or ten years ago. I mean, what are are there some things you've been learning that feel fresh and kind of take okay, you in the next I, I, direction? I'll tell you. There's one thing I'm I'm kind of wrestling with how I think about it, which is that we recently have a device in our house called the Alexa, and it's an Amazon speaker that you can verbally say, what's the weather, or put on NPR News, mm. or play mm. Nina Simone, or whatever, and it just does it. Mm. And I've been thinking a lot about 
was it the screen that was bothering me? Because suddenly there's this verbal, and it, it's really intuitive. It's really works. Like you can say anything and it'll happen. Mm. And um, it's in the center in the kitchen. And it's, it's great if you're cooking because you can put multiple timers on, which I love. Um, anyways, but I've been thinking about, okay, so I don't have a screen, but I'm suddenly interacting with this larger infosphere. And is that too much? Is it, you know, what does that mean? I'm thinking about that a lot. Because I think that's going to be soon just commonplace where you're verbally saying all these things into the ether and responses happen. And how is that going to change things? And that um, it's, o- it's only the voice involved? That Yeah, it's just the voice. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think a lot about robotics, obviously, because my husband, you know, makes them and um, there's so many concerns over them. And he's not, again, concerned. He thinks it's going to be a very collaborative relationship on outsourcing things humans don't need to do. And humans will still do what, of course, they need to do, which is creative thinking and empathy and all of these other things. Right. Um, Yeah. So going back to your question of things that have surprised me, I'm always surprised by how powerful, and again, I think this has to do with the texture box. Every week I get (laughs) re-surprised. There's a new look of surprise now. (laughs) Of just the sense of connection with people, um, with ideas, and then I ultimately feel incredibly connected to the people that I meet online, on Twitter, mostly on Twitter, actually. I feel most exposed to new, fresh ideas I wouldn't have interfaced with. Um, I heard this funny thing that, like, Facebook is who you went to school with and Twitter's <laughs> who you wished you went to school with, <laughs> which I think right. embodies the way I think about the technology. But I don't think I'm getting at the larger question about the bigger surprise, which... or. No, no, that's all good. I, I think, it, you know, I made fun of Twitter for such a long time, having not tried it. And it's so counterintuitive in a way that something it that, is, yeah. right, that forces, which was what I made fun of, that forces anything into that many characters, I think has such, it has, obviously, it's not always poetic and profound, but it has this incredible capacity for poetry and it profundity really, and connection. I, yeah, I feel like it's, I'm interfacing with just so many ideas mm-hmm. and it's exciting. It actually, it's going back to almost like that default mode network where the unusual connections that I look down and I see some idea and I was just thinking about something else. And then that just joined with that idea and some new idea will happen. And I'm always like, oh, that was, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So I, I love that. I love that. The idea generation that comes from that. Yeah. How do you think the, the passions you've lived into, um, which have, so much to do with technology and our lives with technology and and connection. How do you think all of that has flown in and shaped your sense of what it means to be human? How would you start to talk about that? It's a huge question, but how would you just where would you start hmm. to talk about that? I feel through the technology in some ways it's almost in the way that science has given an underpinning to ideas that have been around for a long time. And in a lot of ways, the technology connecting all, all of us and the tactility of the technology is creating this kind of underpinning of our yearning for this larger connecting to something larger than ourselves. Hmm. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's great. Have you ever heard of Thierry de Chardin? Do you know 
His, of course, of course. I, in a way, this I mean the idea of spiritual evolution and the idea his his perception through working with a long view of time, right? But with how far yeah. humanity had come physiologically through evolution and his sense that the noos that this realm of idea human creativity and ideas and thought would kind of overlay the biosphere and would transform the biosphere, would transform reality. Um, mm-hmm. To me, that it's one way to also talk about what you're proposing. I mean, and I think you have a long view of time as well um, that we should be aiming for in very practical ways in terms of how we live our every day. Yes. I mean, it's all the little moments that are tapping into this bigger interdependent network. Mm -hmm. How we tap into it are the ways that we can infuse the sense of character in how we're growing and evolving the Internet and this, this larger interdependent system that we're creating that's showing us what already is there so deeply. Tiffany Schlein is the founder of the Webby Awards and a co-founder of the International Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences. She has directed and co-written 28 films, some with accompanying books, including The Science of Character, Brain Power from Neurons to Networks, and the feature-length documentary Connected, an autoblogography about love, death, and technology. You might not know that On Being is incubating a community engagement initiative called Your Audio Selfie. At youraudioselfie.org, you can hear collections of audio snapshots in response to a single artfully worded question. This week, we're featuring our series, What's in a Name? Reflections on who we are and what we are called. All this and more at youraudioselfie.org. On Being is Trent Gillis, Chris Hegel, Lily Percy, Mariah Helgeson, Maya Terrell, Annie Parsons, Marie Sambale, Tess Montgomery, Asil Zaran, Bethany Klecker, and Selena Carlson. Our major funding partners are the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide at FordFoundation.org. The Fetzer Institute, fostering awareness of the power of love and forgiveness to transform our world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, contributing to organizations that weave reverence, reciprocity, and resilience into the fabric of modern life. The Henry Luce Foundation, in support of public theology reimagined. And the Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. On Being is distributed by American Public Media and is a Krista Tippett Public Production.